on their way. And we give you praise, glory, and honor in Jesus' name as we submit this service unto you in your hands. Amen and amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Put your hands together and continue to bless the Lord as we bless him throughout this service today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Put your hands together. He's a mighty God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How many know that we serve a great big God? Hallelujah. We serve a great big God. Hallelujah. I'd like to thank the Lord today. Hallelujah. For showing his hand mighty in my life. Hallelujah. 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 Put your hands together and bless the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 That's right, praise him. Hallelujah. Got the victory. That's right.
How many got it? And understand that you got it. You are victorious because we serve the victor. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has already won. That means you're a winner. Hallelujah. We got the victory, saints. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, hallelujah glory 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 Hallelujah! Hallelujah! He made it up! Hallelujah! Thank you, Lord!
Hallelujah. 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 It's something about when you make it out and you understand how you made it out, that you made it out all right because of who we serve. Hallelujah. He helped us to make it out all right because he had already went before us. How to make the way. Hallelujah. 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 In trouble. Hallelujah. 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 And with you. Bless your name, oh God. On my side. I know everything will be all right. Oh, I know everything will be all right. If not for you, I never could have made it. Hallelujah. Thank you. In all my trials.
you get home, just walk around your house and sing this to yourself. Everything will be alright. Call that friend that's going through when you leave here tonight and tell them, sing it to them, say, Everything will be alright. Lay your hands on yourself right here. Sing it to yourself now, see it. Galatians 6 and 9 says, Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you fight not. So the only reason that the enemy attacks you with the spirit of weariness, literally trying to destroy your faith, is because you're doing well. If you haven't had a chance to give at this time, you can do so throughout the service, which is a part of praise and worship in your tithe and your offering. Hallelujah. As we continue in our praise and our worship, you can come forth to give in your tithe and your offering. Amen. Hallelujah. How many know that everything is going to be all right? Amen. It is all right because Jesus already made it all right. Hallelujah. 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 Let us lift our hands towards the baskets in prayer. Hallelujah. Father God, we thank you, Lord God, for this uh, gifts that you have given, that has been given unto you this morning, Lord God. Father, we ask that you would bless those that had to give and those that didn't have to give, that they may be able to give on the next appointed time in the mighty name of Jesus. And we thank you and we praise you, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, glory, glory, glory. We thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Um, I am going to be reading from Isaiah 53 and 5. Um, but, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. So this scripture means that I am healed. No matter what I'm going through. So I've been dealing with this issue in my body for a long time. And when I went to the doctor, they said I had arthritis in my lower back. They gave me medicine for it, but it was working a little bit, but it wasn't working. I was saying I had, it had to be more than just arthritis in my lower back. I went back to the doctor and got x-rays, and they said, it was my hip, bone on top of bone. 
my doctor sent me to a physical therapy to see if that would help, but it really didn't. I was so much in pain. I still was in a lot of pain. I went back to the doctor and they took more x-rays again. And then another doctor said I had to get a hip replacement. But I was still so much in pain. I didn't have insurance at that time. But God worked it out that I can get insurance so I could keep going to the doctor. And then everything was going to work out. And then I knew I had to leave my job because of the situation. God worked it out where I could get disability, unemployment for temporarily until I can get better. I'm, I'm sorry. Whew. I knew by God. <laughs> and I would be able to get my bills paid. Even still gave an offering today. I gave an offering today. Um, and I praise God for that because I was so much worried about I was always the person that when I got paid, I made sure I paid my tithes. And that was bothering me. Um, so after the surgery, <laughs> you know how you can still be in a house with people and children still taking care of you and still feel like you're, you're alone? It doesn't matter if you're single. It doesn't matter if you are married. It doesn't matter. But I knew God was there, but this is what I was feeling. I was feeling like... <laughs> I was all by myself, even though I wasn't. And I knew God was there. But then he reminded me in a scripture that I'm going to read in Deuteronomy 31 and 8. The Lord himself goes before you, and he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. But then, even when I was reading that, depression started lifting up. God reminded me to put on a worship song, so I just started praising God and worship him and giving him my all no matter where I was. I was in a house with people, kids running around, or whatever, but I still gave God praise no matter what. And I thank God for it. And even though I'm still in my healing process, I know God, I know it says that I am healed no matter what. And I just thank God. I went from the surgery, getting insurance, 
getting financed, everything just went, was happening so quick for me. And I knew it was God. God sent me to the right surgeon. I, I know it because even the nurse was feeling chills when I just started talking about God and said, I just feel it. I just feel it. You got the best surgeon. And that just meant a whole lot to me, even though I still had a little bit of worries or whatever. But I know that God was still with me. I know I still got a long way to go. I'm being patient. I got a long way to go. But you know how sometimes your flesh get in. But then sometimes God remind me, oh, no, put on that worship song, start praising me, and then I'll be lifted up. I just feel happy. And you just don't know. God is such a good God. So to say, to say all of this, no matter what anybody is going through with, each and every one of us have a testimony, whether it's a big one, whether it's a small one, I know that God will see us through. And I believe even Noah, I pray for Noah every single day. I know God got a testimony for Noah, just like he did me and just like he'll do for anybody else in here. You just got to trust him and believe in him no matter what. And that, that's all I have to say. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We thank and praise the Lord for what he has done in this place today. Hallelujah, healing bodies, delivering and setting people free as we know that he can and he will and has done. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. We ask that you would put your hands together and bless the Lord for the shepherd of this house as he comes forth to feed us the word of God. Hallelujah. Amen. Yes, you may be seated. Thank you so much. Dee, can you give me that right there? Thank you. Praise the Lord, everybody. Hallelujah. I think we can do a little bit better than that. Praise the Lord, everybody. Thank you, Paul. Hallelujah. It's good to see each and every one of you here. We're excited about what God is doing. We're thankful to the Lord for his grace and his mercy. Uh, we definitely salute you that are here and those that have tuned in. Uh, we celebrate uh, you joining us through technology. Hallelujah. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, if you're going to worry, don't pray. If you're going to pray, don't worry. Can I be real with y'all for a minute? Sure, go ahead. That is some of the biggest foolish nonsense that we come up with as believers. There's this idea that because we are in relationship with God that somehow we are free from our human condition. And that's just simply not true. Just because we may know something of God or know that God is still able, regardless of what we may see or feel, 
does not mean that we are somehow elevated and delivered from the human condition. And I want people to understand that because it, it gives you the feeling, this phrase, that if you worry, you're somehow living in doubt or living in fear or what have you. And that's just simply not true for everybody. The phrase should be, if you're going to worry, pray. Because prayer is the remedy for your worry. Worrying about something does not mean that you, don't, that you do not believe that God is able to heal or to deliver or to set you free from whatever it is. Worrying really is more about the outcome of the experience, how things are going to be, how you are going to be in it. The reason that prayer is so powerful for a person that is worrying, or it is the solution for a person that is worrying, is because God works from the end to the beginning. Yes, sir. The word tells us that he is in the end from the beginning and the entirety of the journey. And sometimes when we're trying to get clarity or understanding or peace about the journey that all of us are in, the only way to get real peace is to tap into him who has already seen our destiny. Amen. So I suppose, and, and I encourage you to not be so frustrated when you worry about anything. And to not be quick to just jump upon religious quotes and sayings because it sounds good or, you know, what have you. The truth of the matter is, is that when you came to know Jesus Christ, you did not stop knowing your flesh. When you came to know Jesus Christ, your flesh didn't go anywhere. Amen. Your human condition didn't go anywhere. It was changed. And there is a continual process of sanctification as you grow in the Lord and understanding who God is. But you still, until the day, this is why Paul says he sees in us another member making war with us. There is constant conflict in the life of a believer because the human condition did not just disappear. It didn't go away. And if you're not careful, the human condition can try to get the better of you. But let me encourage you today that if you are in a place, if you're going through something, if you're dealing with something, and you're worried about how things are going to play out, how things are going to work out for you. You, you don't know uh, what the next step is. You don't know which way to turn. You don't know who to befriend or who to cut off. The answer to your crisis will only be found in prayer because prayer is your ability to access the one who has already seen the end of your dilemma. Amen. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor the end is coming. I shared with somebody this week, I shared with somebody this week that we are all X-somethings. We are all X-somethings. 
That means there was something in your life that you were dealing with that you are now, or it is now your ex. Anyone that's had an ex that you had a intimate connection with knows that sometimes your ex don't know how to stay ex. And sometimes your ex likes to come back around, and when your ex comes back around, they give you that one-time feeling that brought them into relationship with you, and you enjoy those moments only to realize there's a reason why they were your ex in the first place. But to think that the ex will not try to come back is foolishness. And I want to encourage you, some of you here in the Spirit of God are dealing with your ex, your ex whatever. It could be a person, it could be a place, it could be a thing, it could be a condition, it could be a mentality. I want you to understand that the deliverance that you seek can only be found in Jesus through prayer and faith. Amen? Amen. I want to talk to you briefly today. I want to, first, I want to encourage uh, everybody to continue to come out to Bible study on Tuesday. Um, you know, it's all online, and all you have to do is just dedicate some time to join in. We, um, I have not been able to be there because of the condition of my son, but I will be back uh, this, starting this Tuesday, and I'm so thankful to the Lord for Elder Joe Ruth Jordan, Elder Jamie Tyler, and Bishop Thomas Burns, who uh, stepped in and just did, by the re reports that I received, uh, just an awesome job uh, in teaching over the last several weeks, and I'm, I'm just thankful to the Lord for them for stepping up and answering the call and being where I could not. But I encourage you, I will be back. But I want you to understand something important. Uh, even though I'm coming back Tuesday, and my hope and desire is, is that everybody uh, that's a part of this ministry would be tuned in um, on Zoom and join the Bible study so that we can share uh, the word of the Lord together. I want you to understand that the, the uh, Bible study is not about me. Um, it, it should not matter to any of us really who's leading Bible study. The only thing that should matter is, is Jesus in Bible study. So that even when I'm not there, all of the body should still be there. So I encourage you to think about these things. If you happen to tune in and see that I'm not there, don't tune out. Because God still has something to say to you, and that's still your opportunity to ask a question. Sometimes we don't know because we don't ask. The Bible says we have not because we what? We ask not. Bible study is the place where we come together to ask questions, to get a better understanding of this thing we call the walk with Christ. So I encourage you, if you haven't been to Bible study, revamp your, um, your um, home situation to where you can. If you have to work, you have to work. That is the way things are. But if you're just at home and you just sleep, set your alarm clock and don't ignore it. Get up. Tune in and be a part of what God is doing. Amen? Today I want to close out the series that I've been doing, and I won't be able to touch upon every one of the compound names of God, but I want to begin this, and then again, as I have encouraged you to come out,
to Bible study. Uh, Bible study over the next couple of weeks will be dedicated to discussing the things that we've ministered about over the last few weeks. We're going to go into a little bit more depth about them, but I want to touch upon um, eight specific and there are more than just eight. First, understand there's more than just eight compound names of God. But there are eight specific compound names of God that I really want to begin to address and uh, touch on. I, will, again, will not be able to get through all of these in this sermon today. But if you join on Tuesday and over the next few weeks, you'll be able to hear and understand and we'll be able to discuss not only what these names mean, but what they mean to you, because to you may not be the same to me. First is the name Yehovah Yaira, which is the Lord our provider. The second is Yehovah Saba, the Lord our warrior. Yehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Yehovah Roha, the Lord my shepherd. Yehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner. Yehovah Mekadishkem, the Lord who sanctifies. Yehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Yehovah Sitkanu, the Lord, our righteousness. So far, we've talked about what I like to call the big three, the big three names of God. For many of us, uh, when we want to get to know God, we usually want to get in, to know one of his character qualities. We want him to tell us something about himself, no different than when we want to get to know our brothers and sisters in Christ or even um, people in our society who may not know Christ yet. Typically in Scripture, when God reveals himself to someone, he ties his description to a name. Jehovah to another name that reveals something very deep about him specific for the person that he is introducing this name to. And these names are referred to as the compound names of God. And God uses them to unveil himself on a more personal rather than universal level. The big three, as I call them, names of God are more universal in context where the compound names of God are more targeted, surgical, and personal. It, it, it gives each of us greater revelation of the character of God because these become the very personal name that Jehovah implies as a universal standard. You see, God often does this when people are going through very difficult situations, and he wants to reveal himself as their source of help in that specific crisis. How many of you understand that if I'm sick, just knowing that God is God is a good thing, but knowing that God is a healer is a little bit more surgically precise to the engagement that I'm having with him. The first uh, pr uh, compound name that we're going to take a look at is Yehovah Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. Now, the book of Genesis provides the background for the revelation of this name. It's Genesis 22, the first and second uh, verse, 22nd chapter, first and second verse, Genesis 22, 1 and 2. And it says, now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. 
He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Now, this passage specifically tells us that God tested Abraham in the most devastating of ways possible. He asked Abraham to give him the one thing that Abraham loved the most, which was his son. Now, Isaac was Abraham's dream come true. Isaac was the revealed or the manifestation of God's promise. He, you know, he was the promised and long-awaited gift from God. And now God is asking for him to give it back. Where I am from, we would call that being an Indian giver. Now, keep in mind that Abraham not only loved Isaac, but he needed him. And God promised to make Abraham a great nation, and you cannot be a great anything if you do not have lineage or you do not have something to fulfill your destiny. And the fulfillment of that promise rested on this one and only son of Abraham and Sarah. Daughters are awesome, but only a son can further your line. And if Isaac dies without having any children of his own, then Abraham, already advanced in years, would no longer have the ability or have a line through which the promise of God's future nation would be able to come. Now, God doesn't seem to be making sense. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you're looking at God and God has done something amazing in your life and then there comes this season where it looks like the very thing that God opened the door for, the very thing that God made to happen in your life seems to be falling apart or seems like it's going to be removed from you. How many of you have been in that place and you're beginning to question God? Like what in the ham sandwiches my friend Paige would constantly say is going on? I don't understand how God can open a door of a tremendous blessing only to seemingly shut the very same door and take back from me the very thing that he gave me. It doesn't seem like God is making much sense. You see, in this case, God's request of Abraham appears to contradict the promise of God for Abraham. And if you read through the entire passage carefully, you won't find any record of Abraham telling Sarah what God was asking him to do with Isaac, which makes perfect sense because no doubt Sarah would have assumed that Abraham had lost his mind. She probably would have lost her temper and there would have been some conflict and maybe there would have been a prevention or an intervention you see, this is the young boy for whom she waited more than 90 years for. And Abraham, who's old and maybe even getting to be senile, thinks God has told him to go to a mountain that he don't even know the name of yet to kill the boy that God promised them. That wouldn't have flown very far in my house. I don't know about anybody else in here. But if there's something that we've waited for a long time and we get it, and then we're going to give it away. 
there's some questioning that might take place. But Abraham suddenly finds himself in a mess of contradictions. He's in a theological contradiction because God's instruction goes against the very promise of a future nation and the mandate not to kill. He's in an emotional contradiction because his faith is now colliding with his affections. He's facing a social contradiction because he will never become a great name in his community if he kills his only son. He's also in a relational contradiction because sacrificing Isaac would create great conflict in his marriage and family. You see, Abraham is really up a creek without a paddle. And his boat is taken on water. You see, this is one of the most trying and uh, biggest trials in Abraham's life. Now, a trial is an adverse circumstance that God introduces or allows in order to identify where we are spiritually and to prepare us for what he wants us to go and what he, where he wants us to go and what he wants us to do. If you're alive, you cannot escape life's trials. You are either in a trial right now, you've just come out of a trial, or you're getting ready to go into a trial. You see, trials are unavoidable realities of life. And if you think that coming to the knowledge of Christ somehow transposes trials into just pleasant places of peace and tranquility, you're fooling yourself. Trials are unavoidable realities of life. So for those of you whose every day is sunshine, just live a while. You'll see some clouds and rain every once and again. Trials are vital to the growth of every believer. You see, trials will enhance your relational understanding of God and its revelation will come of his character traits between God and you. Even though we all experience them, we also should take comfort in knowing that the trials must first pass through God's hands before they can ever reach us. You see, nothing comes our way without first having received its divine approval. And if God approves it, then there is a divine purpose for it. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor your trial, your trial. has a divine purpose and was approved by God. If God approves what you're going through. He doesn't approve it because he just wants to have fun with you. He approves it because there is divine purpose for it. They're not haphazard or just because they are purposed and designed for God's ultimate good in your life. See, this is how all things can work together for our good. We may not always understand it. We may in the trial question what good can come from such a thing. But the word of God declares, which cannot lie, that all things are working together for your good. Yes, 
We understand that Abraham's trial was actually a test. You see, God wanted to know just where Abraham's heart and faith actually stood. And I've often said that not so much God wanted to know, but God wanted Abraham to know. You see, sometimes you don't even know how much you love somebody until that love is tested. Sometimes we go through things so that we can see and learn something better about ourselves. You look at Abraham, if he had been a football coach, he would have wanted to throw out a red flag to challenge God's ruling on the field. We need to go back to the replay. We need to talk about this. If you're like my wife and you aren't really familiar with the regulations of the NFL when a head coach perceives that a referee has made a, a, a wrong call, they have the ability several times in a game to throw out a red flag. And this signals that the referee needs to review the play to make sure that the right call has been made. Sometimes, especially when we're caught between a rock and a hard place, we want to throw out our own red flag on God. We want to stop the game and call for a review because God appears to have made a wrong call. I'm trying to be real with you today. He must have missed something. He couldn't have known what he was doing because if he did, he wouldn't have uh, allowed things to work out that way. And I'm sure that Abraham had his own doubts about what kind of call God had just made. It appeared to favor the opposition in every way. You see, Abraham, the patriarch of his family, was the guide to shepherd and to protect the ones he loves, not kill them. And now God himself wanted him to do just the opposite of what his position detailed. Perhaps Abraham wanted to yell, God, you missed this one. You blew the call. We need to look at this on the replay screen. We need to get under the hood and review the play because you have to be obviously wrong. How many of you have been honest with God to where you've been in the quiet place, in the secret place, in your prayer closet, and you've looked at God and you've asked God, are you sure? This is right. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't taste right. It doesn't smell right. It, 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 it just it doesn't have any right uh, around it. But we, we need to talk about this. But Abraham needed to remember that God does some of his best work in the dark. You see, God is also often the nearest when God seems the farthest. You see, in this situation, only Abraham's faith would carry him through. People of God, there's a reason Jesus did not pray that tribulation not come into your life, but rather he prayed that when tribulation came, that your faith would not fail you. You see, there's a reason why Jesus said, I have prayed for you that your faith not fail, because it is your faith that will pull you through your tribulation. God was waiting to see just what Abraham was going to do. Abraham was in the midst of a terrible test. He faced a choice between the blessing and the blesser. And God wanted to see which one 
he would choose. Isaac had been Abraham's blessing, but God wanted to know, to know which meant more to him, the blessing or the blesser, God or Isaac, the giver of the blessing or the blessing that they've received. You see, sometimes we can fall so in love with a blessing that it trumps the one who blessed us. If you have children or grandchildren, I can almost guarantee you've heard them ask how many days until Christmas. As a matter of fact, you can't even turn on the radio now without hearing somebody give you a Christmas countdown. They were counting down to Christmas before Thanksgiving even came around. How many days until Christmas? You see, for millions of people, Christmas Day is the pinnacle of celebration and gift giving. It, it's celebrated in many cultures around the world, each one adding its own ethnic traditions and foods and music to it. And at the heart of it all should be the reminder that Jesus came to earth as God's ultimate gift for man, our Redeemer and our Savior. We have the opportunity to have a relationship with a perfect, loving Father who calls us his children. James 1 and 17 tells us every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights. But we must remember something about God, a characteristic that he shares with every parent. He doesn't want us to love him only for his gifts. He didn't want Abraham to love him just because he gave him Isaac. Imagine your kids wanting to be with you only because they knew there would be a big payoff on Christmas Day. You probably wouldn't like that too much. You see, as a parent, you give to your children because you love them, not so that they will love you back. If the reason that you give something is to get something back, then your giving is skewed. You see, God is the same way. He loves us, therefore he gives us good gifts because he loves us, not seeking something back as a result of the gift, but he wants us to love him apart from his gift. You see, God is not a genie or a cosmic, uh, eternal Santa Claus. God loves giving from his hand as long as he knows we are really after his heart. See, that's exactly what he wanted to know about Abraham. He wanted to know if Abraham would let go of his most valued possession and simply worship God even when it hurt. Will you worship me in pain? Will you worship me when you're tired? Will you worship me when you don't feel like it? Will you worship me when we just don't have that, ooh, that Sunday morning praise spirit just resting on you where you just bubbling over? Will you push your way to the house of God to worship me when you feel like you'd rather be in your bed with the blankets over your head hoping the sun doesn't shine because it feels so good to just be asleep? Will you worship me? 
You see, this is exactly what Abraham did. Genesis 22, 3 through 4, it says, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Now, three days is quite a long drive to church, by the way. But Abraham did it. The passage tells us he didn't even hesitate. It said Abraham rose early and went to the place of which God had told him. It didn't say that Abraham rolled out of bed and went and made his cup of coffee and sat on his porch to stare at the sky and enjoy the environment. It said he rose early and went to the place of which God had told him. In fact, notice all the verbs that are listed in this text. Rose, saddled, took, split, arose, and went. They all indicate immediate response. You ought to look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, stop living in delay. But I want you to notice something that verse 3 doesn't say. It doesn't tell us that Abraham tried to bargain with God. It doesn't tell us that Abraham tried to debate with God. It doesn't say that Abraham even asked God why. It doesn't say that Abraham snuck a lamb in his backpack just in case God might change his mind. It doesn't give us a synopsis of a debate between Abraham and God. It just says Abraham got up, got going, and got to doing what God asked him to do. So where does Abraham find the faith and the strength to follow God so quickly on such, on its face, a seemingly absurd request? You might be wondering to yourself, yeah. Well, the answer is found in Hebrews, the 11th chapter. You see, once he got to the mountain, he told the two young men who were helping him carry things to the mountain. He says this, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there. And we will worship and return to you. Now, notice something. As you read the text and you read the context in which he is making a declaration to his workers, he expects not that just he is coming back, but he is expecting that he and Isaac are coming back. And more revealing still is what the book of Hebrews says about his thinking. In Hebrews, the 11th chapter, starting at the 17th verse, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead from which he also received him back 
as a type. You see, he wasn't going to the mountain with the expectation that God was going to deliver him from following through with what he said. What he believed was is that after he followed through, in other words, after he killed his son, After, because he understood, he had faith in the promise of God and he understood the necessity that Isaac should live to carry on the lineage, to connect him to the promise, to fulfill the manifested, manifested word of God. He understood this, so he believed that when I carry this through, when I follow through with what God told me to do, God will raise him up from the dead. You see, too often God has given us something to do and we keep looking for the hidden route around it. And when we can't find it too often, we make our own route around it. Trying to avoid doing what God said to do, but all the while looking like we're doing what God said to do. But the mindset of Abraham was, I'm going to follow through as much as this is going to hurt, as much as it seems to contradict the very thing that God has declared. I know God can't contradict himself. So something that I cannot see, something that I cannot know, something that I cannot understand, God is able to still follow through with what he declared. You see, Abraham knew that the request to kill Isaac, even though it seemed ridiculous and that everything was against him from a human perspective, he also knew that others might think God didn't know what he was talking about. Yet in the midst of his confusion and pain, he went to worship, he went to church, he trusted that even if he went through with God's call to sacrifice Isaac, God, who had produced life through two aged and worn out bodies, could no doubt resurrect Isaac from the dead. Of course, Abraham never witnessed a physical resurrection but he had witnessed a miracle, the supernatural conception and birth of Isaac. It may have been a different problem this time for Abraham, but he knew it was the same God. In fact, sometimes God will allow you to experience larger problems in life because he wants to unveil a larger portion of himself to you. People who want to give up on God simply because life scenarios don't make sense could very well be walking away from a new manifestation of God and his name in your life. God wants you to see and understand and taste something about him. Him. The word declares that when God wants you to know something, he says, taste and see that I am good. He's not looking for something on the outside. He's looking to do something on the inside of you. Sight calling in the mental capacity to take something visual and put it into your mind and think about it and tasting something to take into your body to gain its nourishment. So God put Abraham in a situation that only God could fix. 
Abraham couldn't deduce his way out of this one. He couldn't strategize his way out of this one. He couldn't leverage his way out of this one. And sometimes God allows you to be in a situation that only he can solve so you can recognize that he and he alone is the one who solved it. This is exactly what he did for Abraham. Abraham and Isaac started to walk to the place on the mountain where God had said to go. Abraham had taken the wood and all the necessary items for constructing an altar for a burnt offering and placed them on Isaac to carry then Isaac asks this question in the seventh verse of the 22nd chapter, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham replied in faith, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And after this, the plot begins to thicken. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. How I would love to have been a bug in the sand just to get a sense of how Isaac must have felt while his father tied him up and laid him on top of the wood. I would love to have seen the expression on Abraham's face. Can't you hear the labored breathing and the deep sighs? And not only because of the long walk up the mountain, but also because of his utter confusion. And now we come, yet another apparent contradiction. God Almighty, the omniscient one who knows the end from the beginning, the creator of the universe says, now I know that you fear God. Didn't God know that already? Before Abraham lifted the knife, or even before Abraham woke up three days earlier and started out his journey, didn't God know what was going to transpire? You bet he did. But in this passage, we get a glimpse into God that's rarely shown elsewhere. God knows all information that can be known. In other words, God knows what was, what is, and what will be. No one can bring up a topic anywhere that God doesn't already fully know about. No data or knowledge of things past, present, or future will ever catch God unaware. Yet God hasn't necessarily experienced all that he knows. If I were to say to you, for example... God, tell me what it feels like to commit a sin. He couldn't answer that question because he's never committed sin. Yes, he bore our sin, but he's never committed a sin himself. A woman can hear the words, I love you, from her husband, but that's different 
from experiencing the full weight and meaning of what those words indicate. She may already know the words are true, but the experience takes what she knows to be true and brings it alive in her life. David reflected about God's omniscience in Psalm 139, 1 through 4. He said, oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. The psalm goes on to talk more about not only God's omniscience, but also his omnipresence. In the New Testament, we find Jesus saying, woe to you, Chorazin, who, uh, woe to you, uh, Bethesda, uh, for if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Matthew 11 and 21. You see, in these words, Jesus was letting them know what could have been if those cities had repented. Yet while God knows everything actual and everything potential, God doesn't necessarily know everything experientially. So when the angel of the Lord says to Abraham, now I know, he's not talking about informational knowledge. He's saying to Abraham, now I have experienced that you fear me. You see, God isn't only a God of knowledge. He's also of God of experience. He enters our emotions. Why does he seat himself on the praises of his people as we read in the book of Psalms? Why doesn't he just sit back, relax, and say, I know what praise is. All of the information on praise is available to me. In fact, I know who's going to praise me, who's praising me now, and who's praised me in the past. And what's more, I know who means it when they praise me. I don't even need anyone to praise me because I already know everything there is to know about praise. Yet the Bible tells us that God is enthroned on the praises offered to him. Psalm 22 and 3, check the text. To be enthroned on something is to be in the midst of it, a participant in it. Something about the praising of God brings him pleasure. He he purposefully and willingly participates in the experience of praise. So why did did God become a man? Not only to redeem us from suffering, eternal punishment, and separation from him. While that is really important to us, Jesus, God became a man to participate in the human experience. You see, It is the experience that enables him to sympathize with us because Jesus Christ became a man. The writer of Hebrews tells it like this, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. 
Jesus can sympathize with us because he has gone through everything a person can go through except sin. So when the angel of the Lord says, now I know that you fear God, it's not because he lacked intellectual information, but because he has now experienced the event. He participated in it. God enters into the moment in time when he experiences and feels the love that we sing, the love that we speak, the love that we think about. And when he does, he unveils his character at a deeper level and reveals his very name. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him, a ram caught in the thicket by his thorn, by his horns and Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord it will be provided You see, Abraham didn't hear the ram trying to get out of the thicket until he finished obeying the command of God. In fact, while Abraham was going through his trial and climbing up the mountain on one side, God had Abraham's solution. That was the ram coming up the mountain on the other side. And he was going to make a match at precisely the right time. Sometimes you are outrunning what God is planning. But when you're walking in the steps that are ordered by the Lord for you, your victory is walking right alongside you. You see, this same principle can be applied to you, can be applied to me, can be applied to us. Often our answer to the trial that we're facing isn't a far off But our answer is sitting right next to us. But you will never know it until God is ready to reveal it. You see, as a result of God's providential provision, Abraham named the place Yehovah Yireh, the Lord will provide. He discovered something about Yehovah on that day that would change his very life forever. If you will ever discover it and believe this truth, you will never look at your circumstances the same way again. But we can easily miss the key to Abraham's provision. Scripture tells us this. Abraham raised his eyes. Tell your neighbor, it's time to look up. Jesus tells us in the New Testament, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. You see, Abraham was able to keep going until the provision came because he saw Jesus' day. He was able to look spiritually at the Lord in spite of his physical trial that he was going through. Because of what Abraham saw, he was able to continue with his radical obedient. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, be radically obedient to the Lord. You see, the root word for the name Yaira literally means to see. Yet when you put together the compound name, it means to provide. 
So knowing that what he saw in the spiritual realm affected his actions in the physical realm. Abraham recognized the power of sight in calling this place Jehovah Yireh. Somewhere in the combination of these two names is a relationship between God seeing and God providing. When we look at another form of the word provide, provision, we can see this link more clearly. To have vision is to see. Provision means that something was seen beforehand and thus provided for. The root vision ties the provision to what was seen. God's provision for Abraham was based on his vision of what Abraham did. God's vision leads to his provision. So the question, what must God see so that he might provide for you when you're caught in the contradictions of life? He needs to see the same thing that he saw in Abraham, which are found in the words I mentioned earlier. Rose, saddled, took, split, arose, and went. Abraham did not delay his obedience. He did what God asked him to do, even though he didn't know how God was going to work it out. People of God, understand me, delayed obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is complete disobedience. In other words, if Abraham had only gone halfway on the trip, he wouldn't have finished the journey. He never would have experienced and known Jehovah Yireh. We all have our own Isaac. It's that thing you want more than life itself. Your Isaac is that thing that you least want to release. The thing you're holding on to the tightest. Friend, are you willing to trust God completely with the Isaac in your life? And for some of us, the Isaacs. You see, when God saw that God mattered more to Abraham than Isaac mattered, God intervened and provided for Abraham so that he could keep Isaac. Loving God means acting on what God says. It's not just about singing songs, praying prayers, or hearing sermons. Many of us don't know God as Jehovah Jireh because God is still waiting for us to act on what he said even though we may not understand how it's going to work out. Whatever it is that you're holding on to so tightly, it might be your career, it might be your family, it might be your marriage, it might be your health, it might be your finances, it might even be your search for a mate. You have to let that go in order to experience Jehovah Yireh. You need to do what God has instructed you to do about it, even if it doesn't make sense, simply because he has your best interest at heart. And you will see him provide for you when he sees you put him above all else. In fact, when Abraham received Isaac back, he received even more. This is what the word declares. 
Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. You see, Isaac was just the beginning of a mammoth blessing from God for Abraham. And God said because of what he saw, he was not getting ready to open up the windows of heaven and shower Abraham with blessings that would last for generations. God is opening a door because Abraham was obedient. You see, Abraham could have decided to keep Isaac at the very beginning and then perhaps lost him in some other way and lost out on everything else that Isaac would have connected Abraham to. Yet because he was willing to let go of what mattered the most to him, he was able to keep after all and receive so much more from God. You see, God longs to be Jehovah Yireh to you today. But he wants to know. In other words, he wants to experience that you're willing to obey him that you're willing to seek him and not to place anything above him as more important in your life. When he sees you honor him the way Abraham did, you will discover the power of Jehovah Yaira in your life. We run around and we encourage people with words. Don't worry. God will meet you at the point of your need. In other words, God is your Jehovah Yaira. But unless you're living in obedience to God, you will not experience the blessings of God as God intends because your vision is messed up. Because your vision is messed up, your provision is messed up. But if you can get your vision right, you can tap in to your provision. It's so important, people of God, that we keep our priorities in order. God before all else. God before all else. Even before the things that he himself has given, if he himself has said, give them back. There's so many Places in scripture. Don't have the time this morning to share it all with you. But there are so many places where God's revelation, if you let go of the little that I've given, you can have the whole lot of me. 
Don't be a dam to your own blessing. Be a floodgate. Be the very thing that your blessing runs through to an overflow that it has to be released so you can be a blessing in your surrounding. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't know who or what the Isaac is in your life, but you ought to make a declaration to God that that Isaac is not more important to you than he is. And trust that God will always make a way for your provision. Hallelujah. Let's celebrate the Lord. Hallelujah. We want to share communion with you this morning. It is our custom that every first Sunday we do this. It is the request of Christ that we do it. And it is his words that said, as often as ye do this, do it in remembrance of me. We do it to remember what he did. The same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. Every time we come together, to celebrate Holy Communion, we are saying to Jesus, we remember. We remember what you did. We remember who you are. And we are so thankful for your grace for us. Hallelujah. Let us pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, bless these sacraments as we become partakers of them. We do so to remember this day what you have done for us, the truth that you laid your life down for us. It was declared earlier in the service by way of testimony that you were wounded for our transgressions. You were bruised for our iniquity. And the chastisement of our peace is upon you. And by your stripes, we are healed. Father, let us experience in this moment your death, burial, and resurrection. Let us again be reminded of your love for us, how you reached into the miry pit and pulled us out. How you washed us with your blood that we might be presented before your Father without spot or wrinkle. Father, we declare thank you in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 
I ask that you come from where you are and let us partake of this together. Just come. There's only a few of us. Just come. Has everyone had the opportunity? Let us open the first layer and expose the bread. He said he break it and he took an eight. To the same manner also he took the cup and he drank it. Father, we thank you right now. We thank you right now. For we are now the redeemed of the Lord no longer bound and separated by sin. But you became sin for us that we might become righteousness. We are become what you are and thereby redeemed to our Father. That now when he sees us, he sees you. He sees himself, the reflection of his glory, the return of his image. We thank you now by faith receiving everything that you've done for us. Lord, we love you. We love you. Receive our love now in the name of Jesus. Father, now as we break this service, break not the fellowship of your spirit with us, but go with us into our respective places. Fellowship with us even as we fellowship with one another. Bless us by thy grace to come together at the next appointed time with a testimony of victory, with an opportunity for you to experience our worship. We thank you now for a great week by faith in Jesus our Lord. And every believer, everyone who would dare stand upon the truth of God's word, just say, Amen. Consider yourself dismissed, fellowship one with another. <laughs>